Today's guest is Dr. Julian Bales on Billy West Live. Uh, Dr. Bales is a native of Natchitoches, Louisiana, and a neurosurgeon in Chicago, Illinois. And Dr. Julian Bales joins us. And uh, Julian, welcome to the program. Thank you. Great to be here with you. Well, it's nice of you to give uh, of your time and visit with us. A lot of issues I'd like to talk to you about, especially related to NFL concussion protocols, those kind of things. But uh, you know, for our listeners out there, just a brief history of your education and where you're practicing now and what your areas of practice are. So I uh, grew up in Natchitoches, born, born in Alexandria, however, but I overcame that and <laughs> progressed to Natchitoches. And uh, then I uh, uh, decided to go to LSU. I did spend a year at Northwestern State, but I graduated in pre-med from LSU and went to uh, med school at LSU in New Orleans. And you decided that neurosurgery um, was something you were interested in. Did, did you always want to be a doctor, Julian? I think it was really a process of default. I felt I had no talent or ability in any other subject matter. Yeah, my father had been in law, as you know, and I really didn't think I was going to be good at that. I, if I had any ability, it's probably in science, and I think that's how I first got started. And then I remember when I was a junior at LSU, I went to New Orleans to Baptist Hospital, and and uh, Dave Treen Jr. worked there, and he got me in the uh, operating room to see my first operation. It was some. Uh, abdominal surgery and uh, but it was enough that it really uh, uh, to me convinced me that's what I wanted to do so I completed pre-med and then was fortunate to get into LSU Medical School in New Orleans. And obviously you graduated medical school then went on and did I think the Barrow Institute in Arizona did a, a specific residency for neurosurgery and, and brain surgery so is your primary focus brain surgery? Uh, it is, although I've done a lot of spine surgery, uh, but I, I, I did my internship in residency, which is another six years after that, in, in uh, neurosurgery at Northwestern University. Uh, I finished med school six months early, so I had six months. I went to Los Angeles for three months to L.A. County Hospital to study brain trauma and, and uh, uh, a lot of things that were happening out there. And then I went to Memorial Sloan Kettering uh, in New York City to study brain tumors. So I tried to make use of that extra six months I had. And then uh, went to the residency internship at Northwestern. And then, then I went to Barrow Institute in Phoenix to study uh, stroke, brain aneurysm, and stroke surgery. Again, our guest, uh, Dr. Julian Bales, a neurosurgeon, and now you've settled in Chicago, been there, let five or six years or maybe a little longer than that. Um, how many surgeries a week are you still doing weekly uh, and or monthly? It, just to give our listeners a, an idea of how much time you actually still spend in the operating room. So I'm the chairman of the Department of Neurosurgery. We have about 23, 24 doctors and still growing. And uh, I personally operate. I have administrative duties and uh, also run a research lab, so I operate some weeks, you know, eight or, or more surgeries in a, eight to ten a week. Uh, uh, some weeks less. It depends on emergencies and then who comes in with new problems in their brain that have to be fixed. And obviously you deal with some of the most acute problems, uh, people who are 
uh, with brain tumors and have to have surgery. It's not really an elective situation many times in your situation. Explain the process as you go through that. I mean, or most of your surgeries really, I mean, they have to be done then to save the patient's life? Yeah, there are very few brain surgeries that, that aren't, uh, you know, uh, urgent or critical or, or emergent. So uh, a lot of ours are, we just find out about it the day before or a few days before. Now, there are a few that are semi-elective, but most of them are absolutely necessary. There's not a whole lot of debate about should they be done, and they have to be done soon. Uh, we have intensive care unit. We have several operating rooms. We, do, we have one of the biggest stroke programs in Chicago, one of the biggest brain surgery programs. Uh, so we're pr pretty active, a lot going on. We have to have a call schedule to manage uh, uh, someone always available and backup doctors if the on-call guy gets busy. So you have to have a, a revolving and sophisticated call schedule. We'll treat about 1,300 strokes this year, which I've been told is the largest stroke program in Chicago. Well, your hospital system, you told me one time about how many surgeries you all do in your hospital. It's an amazing number of just brain surgeries uh, a year. That's a fascinating thing. How did you all manage the, the COVID crisis in your hospital? And what challenges did that present uh, for your staff? The, the initial thing was, of course, we didn't know. No one knew the, the uh, transmissibility of COVID, and no one knew who was going to get it and, and how that was going to occur. So we, uh, we had to, in neurosurgery, uh, continue to operate, and we had to continue to take care of people despite the worries uh, or the specter out there of, of COVID. So we... Uh, had to wear special mask respirators, uh, three of them, and uh, cover ourselves quite a bit. It would get very hot sometimes operating uh, and hard for some people to breathe. Some of the nurses, you know, would have bruises on their face. The, the masks were so tight. But we found out uh, uh, after we did our 500th brain surgery that we really weren't giving patients COVID from operating on them, and we weren't getting it from operating on the ones who had it. This is a flu virus, so if you think about the flu, uh, you generally get that by someone infected coughing on you or you being in very close proximity. So we and the patients were well protected. Our surgeries uh, had to continue because people were getting strokes, they were getting life-threatening brain cancer and, and tumors and things, so we never stopped. But fortunately, we didn't have any big issue with uh, the transmissibility to ourselves or the patients. And do you see the, the pandemic waning somewhat now? And, and, of course, Chicago, it's colder up there still right now, but with the warmer weather in the south, it seems like the numbers are at least moving in the right direction. What do you see? Uh, we see we see that, and uh, just my uh, opinion is that the severity is not as severe. We're not having nearly the, member, the number of people in the ICU are dying, and it was not all old people. At the time, uh, there were some young people that had it as well. But as we know, probably at this point, 20% or 25% of Americans are vaccinated, and we're beginning to probably see that have an effect. And if you look at the only comparable uh, pandemic for our country was the Spanish flu 
100 years ago. You know, it came back the second season, and then by the third year, it completely burned out. And that's what they apparently tend to do. And I believe we're experiencing that now. Yeah, and there's been some discussion that maybe we'd have a third wave in the fall, but hopefully, like you've talked to me about this before, mm-hmm. so your hopeful prediction is if it does come back, that the wave won't be as severe. Yeah, and I think we can almost sort of feel that now, mm-hmm. that we don't uh, feel the, the the pressure, the density of infections and, and hearing about and knowing the, the number of cases or hospitalizations or severe cases with death. So hopefully we're way over the hump now. Dr. Julian Bales, our guest on Billy West Live. Dr. Bales, is the pressure on your hospital system in Chicago less now? obviously than it was a year ago with COVID. No question, a lot less, yes. That's great news. You know, you've been uh, involved, Nightline did a series on you, ABC did a national series on network television several years ago where it actually showed you operating and they showed you doing an aneurysm surgery. Talk about that particular surgery where the, the aneurysm actually busted while you were doing the surgery to remove the anomaly in the, the lady's brain and how long you had to fix it. That's a fascinating story. Uh, so thanks. She, so the uh, lady was probably in her mid or late 50s. She had a brain aneurysm, which is a blister on the wall of an artery, a, a weakness, like a bleb on a tire. And the problem with them is that usually patients don't know they have it until it ruptures. And when it ruptures, about a third of people die immediately. And the other two thirds, we get to the hospital and we treat them. Uh, we used to have to operate uh, when I was training on all of them, and now there's a way through a catheterization, through a little tube put in either, either through the groin or the wrist to go inside inside the body without an incision, working within the blood vessels to, to close it off with a coil, use a coil or a stent. In that case, and still today, some of them we operate on, and when we operate, we have to open the skull and go find the aneurysm and put a little clip, a titanium clip, which seals it off. We do that, it's cured. And um, uh, that's a surgery that you, you have to train and work with for a few years to really understand it. But we have great success now. We have for many years. And um, uh, I'm kind of disappointed I can't operate on so many anymore. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're done through a... Uh, non-invasive technique through a catheter. But yeah, if something like that ruptures, you have uh, less than a minute or two to get it sealed off. That was fascinating television to watch. And you had uh, shared with me again, our, our guest, Dr. Julian Bells from Chicago, famous nurse, I don't mind saying, very famous, world-renowned neurosurgeon. Uh, you you learned that from me, didn't I, you? I did. I told you, you that. You pounded that in my head for years. But it was another interesting story you told me that, that one time you operated on somebody for a long period of time. What's the longest period of time you ever had to do a brain surgery without stopping? I believe my record uh, when I was in Pittsburgh was 26 hours. And that's continuous, other than maybe bathroom breaks, whatever, but continuous brain surgery for 26 hours. Yes. That's fascinating. What, what, if you can talk about it, what, what was the nature of the surgery? Why, why, did, it, why did it take so long? You know, it was something called an arteriovenous malformation, which is a congenital problem that looks like a bag of worms if you see it. But it's in this case, it's probably as big as a baseball and probably had 300 little vessels in it that they had to 
individually be sealed off and, and cauterized or clipped. But, you know, when you do those kind of surgeries, you're so engrossed. And there's something, there was a uh, psychologist uh, uh, with a long name, begins with a C, Chesnick or something like that. He was at the University of Chicago, and he, he defined it as a flow state. And a flow state means that when you're doing something very technical and difficult, it involves your hands and your brain that you become so engrossed that you transcend time. And we've all sort of been in flow states, whether it's working on a project or a, writing a paper or something where you, you're really, your wits are matching the job at hand and you do transcend time and that's fun. So that's kind of what happens. You, you, do, you do lose track of time and it didn't seem like an inordinate amount. Uh, and I, you're right, I, I recall maybe taking couple bathroom breaks, maybe getting a little orange juice and not eating, but it going by relatively quickly. We couldn't stop. The guy's head was open and, and we had to finish the job. Dr. Julian Bales joins Billy West Live and talks about his time as sideline doctor for the Pittsburgh Steelers and concussion protocols. 